0: At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends ten thirty one seventeen. You are locked on Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: Your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans, and NBA as a whole. Available on iTunes, on Audio Boom, wherever podcasts are found, and also on social media. Give it a follow on Twitter at Locked On Pels. Like it on Facebook, just search Locked On Pelicans. I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, and we are now deep into the NBA draft. Pretty much the second the season ends, everyone's gears shift and focus uh, goes to June 22nd, the NBA draft, all two rounds of it, where the Pelicans do have a pick. 40th overall. You guys have heard me highlighting players these past couple of days. I wanted to bring on a guest for this episode, uh, Brendan Clean of BourbonStreetShots.com along with me over there and The Step Back, different places. Uh, wrote an article the other day for BourbonStreetShots talking about different second round picks, trying to find you know a diamond in the rough, a guy like Malcolm Brogdon over in Milwaukee who was an immediate contributor for that team uh, and he's highlighted some of the similar guys that I have as well. We talk about that and more, just talk about the first round overall as i mentioned yesterday i want to mention to you guys again today because it's going to be going on the rest of this week and the start of next week in the lead up to the nba draft the lockdown podcast network did a mock draft where each host of their individual locked on show acted as gm of the uh of their franchise and we did a mock draft so it's not one person Picking you know the players for every team it's each individual individual team making a decision so you get a much more balanced I think fair and maybe accurate mock draft than one person doing it overall for what picks one through 30. We had the first six picks go up yesterday. The other, the next six, seven through 12, is today. It's on the Locked On podcast channel. Give it a listen. If you want to find out about all the guys getting drafted and some of the rationale behind why they might be a good fit for where they're likely to go, this is the best primer you're going to get. I highly, highly recommend it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, my, uh, was it Mike Schmidt? From Draft Express is on there breaking down every pick as the top draft expert and I mean really the other than Draft Express that's the top one you have one or two other places but that's really who you want to listen to and we've got him helping out here on the Locked On Podcast Network mock draft let me welcome on Brendan Clean here from bourbonstreetshots.com my site and the step back Brendan thanks for joining me today thanks for having me excited to talk about the draft I know everyone really gets excited for second round picks
2: don't they this is how it works Oh yeah, forty. I've been dreaming about pick number forty for months now. So do you, are those like good dreams or are they nightmares? <laughs> I mean, I'm in, I'm actually pretty in, not inspired. I don't know. I'm pretty optimistic about uh, the second early second round based on how well the Pelicans did last year. So I'm I'm holding. I'm not you know I'm not holding my breath, but I'm I'm pretty interested to see what they can do.
1: No, I mean, last year, when you think about the move for Diallo, it was clearly someone they liked, and everyone I've talked to seems to hold this guy pretty highly in regards and they think he might be a contributor next season. Yeah, I thought
2: it was interesting that just, it's not the kind of aggressive move, well, it was an aggressive move, it's not the kind of move we're used to seeing from the front office, so it was it was cool in, in that way, and also, yeah, I mean, they they got a player that they liked, and I don't think any of us were really too sure what to expect, but... Um, limited NBA action and optimistic signs from the D-League. So, I'm, yeah, I mean, if they can get a player that's even just, you know, a faint hope like Diallo is, again, that's better than most of these guys because a lot of these players around the early second round, late even late first round, you kind of never hear their name again. So just finding a player that's going to stick is the best you can hope for.
1: I, I saw a study, I forget where it was, and this was a while back, and it might have changed some. It was second-round picks. Average, tend to just be, like, 10-day, 15-day contract type of players. And that's it. 10-day contracts, not 15. Um, and, like, that's the, usually their average. So if you can get anyone who's better than that, it's got to be considered a win, right? I think so, yeah. I mean,
2: a guy who's improving and who, you know, we hear such good things about, yeah, I, I'm. I think so, too. I think... I think it's safer to go college-experienced guy, which is, I think, what we're going to talk about because you're improving your odds of finding somebody who can play basketball well. But, uh, no, I think, yeah, you're doing yourself a great thing if you can turn a second-round pick into an actual player.
1: Yeah, just even anything, like end up bench guys, pretty good. So let's just jump into it. So of all the scouting you've done in, in video I'm sure you've watched and read about, who's who would you like them to target?
2: Well I think um so the piece that I wrote on Bourbon Street Shots about the second round was at that time, uh Draft Express had the Pelicans taking Derek White from Colorado um at forty, but I think just following on Twitter and kind of seeing the reaction to some of his workouts and you know, as the process gets further along, I, I, I don't imagine that he'll fall that far. Um but he, you know, you got to have a, somebody at the top of your board, and being a little hopeful like that doesn't doesn't hurt anything. So I, I think he's the guy at the top for me. But the the Pelicans are in a good spot because I mean I'm of the belief that they they should target a guard um, at the top of their board, um, and that happens to be a perfect spot to be picking one of these, you know, maybe I guess you could say third tier guards to be at 40. There's a bunch of options there, so. um yeah, Derek White. I like um, Tyler Dorsey. If you're going a little more upside, I think Josh Hart from Villanova, who people will probably remember from their ch- uh, championship team two years ago. Um, there's just there's a lot of options here. So I think you know you can't really go wrong. It's just going to be a matter of what they prioritize. And you know maybe who knows? Maybe they don't even see themselves as you know needing a guard. That the team could have completely different ideas with what they're going to do with that pick. But you know those are the guys that I tried to look at.
1: Yeah, so I was about to ask, and then you kind of went there, with Derek White, you know, is he fitting the kind of mold of the player? So, I mean, maybe that's where we should start before getting into some specific prospects. So you think they need to go backcourt with this pick, and I'm inclined to agree with you. And I think we're just in the same on the same page with this. You take college experience over raw upside at this point, don't you? Especially if you're this Pelicans team that needs people to maybe contribute sooner rather than later. I think so. I think – You know, my mindset
2: with the the early second round where you're kind of in a good spot as far as um, you're kind of picking from the remainder from the first round, if you think about it. I mean, there's always guys who shoot up into some team's um, board that that wasn't expected or even reported on, and once those guys get taken early, there's some guys who are going to fall, obviously. And that beginning of the second round, like we saw with Chuck Diallo last year is where you can find some of those players. So I think that's the first place you look. The other place you look um, in my mind is if you're not going to pick a a NBA ready player is you should pick a draft and stash an international player because shooting for upside like that, especially a team in the Pelican shoes with having, you know, something of a make or break year. um, They just can't afford that. And, And I don't, I don't know if I really trust any team. It's such a crapshoot. So I I think, yeah, I think we're on the same page.
1: Yeah, you've just got to get someone who you think might be able to be like a, a spot starter or be able to step up when someone goes down. And it's not like the Pelicans have a ton of salary cap flexibility and room to do much. So whoever they're going to take in the second round, I'm sure, is going to be asked to be a contributor, maybe in some capacity, either this coming season or the season after, and they kind of need that. So... You know, I think we're both of the mindset. Derek White, who's the who's out of Colorado, isn't going to be there after that. Have you watched much of Edmund Sumner, who's from Xavier, who I think Draft Express has the Pelicans taken now? I haven't. I mean, I,
2: I think we all ended up seeing more of Xavier than we thought this March if we watched the NCAA tournament. Um, and I mean, I remember hearing his name, and you know, you, the the broadcast kind of points you toward the guys you you should be watching if you're not too. Experienced watching, you know, some of the deeper college teams. So, I mean, I remember being impressed with his scoring ability, but I, uh, I was not expecting the. I, I think he's he. I I didn't even see him when I was doing this uh, piece the first time. So I think he's been shooting up. I, I mean, it would be interesting to look into some of the workouts and things that he's been involved in to see what what's causing that jump because. Um, you know, especially if the Pelicans are in a position to take him, I'd want to know more.
1: Yeah. I mean, so how do you, how important for the second round pick, especially if they're going backcourt is going to, is three point shooting in your opinion? Well, I think you can see, I mean, I, I, I highlighted Monte Morris
2: from Iowa state. He was the only one of the five guys that I looked at in the piece I wrote that wasn't a above average shooter. I think, especially with losing buddy healed in the DeMarcus cousins trade last year, um, and then the fallout of watching that team struggle to space the floor in the aftermath of that trade, uh, you're, you'd be silly to not value that. I mean, you can see with with what the team was looking for in the ten day contracts and and D league call ups that they were uh, rifling through by the end of last year. Hollis Thompson, Wayne Selden. I'd imagine that both of both you and I are are leaning toward that type of player with the second round draft pick this year because we were you know, we saw what they did with those end of bench guys at the end of last season. So I think they'd pick up right where they left off. And this is an opportunity to, to pick from a much bigger pool rather than the, you know, the end of the season who hasn't gotten called up yet guys that they were going through, you know, in in April
1: and May. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. So, Three-point shooting is basically, like, the first thing I've been looking for. Do they shoot a good percentage from there? And do they do it on, like, a large enough volume that, you you know, it's not like he's taking, like, one attempt per game and hitting, you know, 45% of that because that's not going to necessarily help this. I know Edmund Sumner has only shot 27.3% from deep and 73.5% from the free throw line. And free throw shooting, as I've been telling people on the podcast, is often an indicator of NBA shooting more so than their actual Percentages, But if if you could get a guy and all he did was shoot threes and was good at it, would you be happy with that type of player drafted in the second round?
2: Well, I think that's the kind of player you're looking at with Tyler Dorsey. So the thing I pointed at when I was looking at him was, you know, and looking through these types of players in general, the the presence of Jordan Crawford really just screws anything you're trying to look at. I mean, he is the kind of player that a lot of these guys are hoping hoping to be you know i mean he only has done it in spurts throughout his nba career but like we talked about at the beginning the second round is that's the kind of player you end up with somebody who does it in spurts who can contribute on his best days and maybe has some struggles throughout his career to to stay on the team that's what you're looking at in the second round so they have one of those and tyler dorsey to me was was that kind of player he's going to be able to shoot he can create his own shot pretty well and he did shoot he he shot almost more threes than twos in a lot of his games last year with Oregon. Um, so he he's exactly that kind of player. And, I mean, I guess, yeah, how you feel about him is, is going to go a long way with what you think the Pelicans should do. I don't think he plays enough defense. I, I, I think somebody like um, White is appealing because they have the size and the shooting. I think size is, is almost the second most important thing, almost right up there with shooting.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that brings up a guy like Damian Dotson out of Houston who's got good size for a two-guard. He's 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six in that uh, area and shot uh, you know over 44% from three last season on 7.6 attempts per game. That's one of the guys I've been leaning towards where just get some length on the court, maybe grab a couple of long rebounds offensively if you can, and hit some threes, and I'm going to be happy. Even if you get any kind of uh, you know defense out of him, I think that makes it even better, right? yeah I think
2: so i mean yeah you're you're not really i think I'm maybe getting ahead of myself hoping for a two-way player at at forty um but I do think that there's guys who you know Derek white again not to go back to him he's just a good example of all of these things he's he's almost twenty three years old he's a very old college player he transferred from a junior college before going to Colorado but that was you know another thing I tried to look at with a lot of these guys um is their age. Edmund Sumner, the the player that, that draft express does have on the Pelicans uh, spot is, is 21. Josh Hart is a four year player from Villanova. So he's, you know, 22, 23 as well. A lot of the players around this range. And so you are going to get a little bit more of both sides of the ball if you're picking an older player, but I agree. Yeah. If you can get somebody who's going to be able to knock down shots, you don't really complain. They couldn't get that from, any of the players, really, that they were cycling through at the end of last season. So even filling that obvious hole with this team is going to be a win from the second round.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if it's just kind of a spark off the bench, and I know the Pelicans kind of have that in Crawford and the instant grits and everything, which is really nice, but you still need more. And, you know, again, I don't necessarily trust that one season from him last year. Have you thought about a guy like Wesley Awundu out of Kansas State? This is another guy that fits, like, all of the profile we've been talking about. He's 6'7". Uh, can play the two or the three. He's got good height um, and kind of sounds almost like a two-way guy, but the only reason he wouldn't go necessarily in the first round is because he's 22 and a half.
2: Yeah. I mean, all of the uh, draft express has him at 55 right now, which is shocking to me because I feel like every time I listen to or read something from any of the draft guys that I, that I trust, they all are raving. You know, it just screams that it's going to be, uh, higher than, than what's being mocked on, you know, any of these sites. They all have him going at the bottom of the second round, but I really don't know how he makes it there because you're right. He's a freak athlete. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I watched Kansas State, No, I, but I,
1: but, I defi-
2: but I definitely have gone back once I started hearing this guy's name. I mean, I didn't know anything about him and I felt silly that all these, you know, people loved him and I didn't have any idea. He's a terrifying athlete and, you know, has the exact makings of a three and D player at six seven. Somebody's going to be able to play the two and the three. Um, he's already seems to be pretty filled out physically, and yeah, I mean the Pelicans are probably going to have a shot. If I mean even even rising from fifty five, you'd think the Pelicans would be able to pick him at forty. So I just don't know if he's the kind of player that's going to be able to, put, to produce right away, like we're talking about. If he's uh, so raw.
1: Yeah, of all the guys we've talked about, I think he's the Ross and maybe has the highest ceiling. But I think the Pelicans need to target higher floor guys and lower ceiling guys. Maybe I guess it makes them more of a sure thing if there is such a thing in the second round. And now I sound like a crazy person talking a little bit. You've mentioned Josh Hart, and I think this is a guy a Pelicans fans are going to really like and know of, which probably helps a little bit. What have you seen out of him?
2: I think he's going to be able to create his own shot driving to the hoop. Um, That's what his game was based on. He was a player of the year candidate last year with Villanova for that exact reason. Uh, I think he's another guy who at, you know, as a senior, as a four year player is grown into his body enough where, you know, if, if the team can play a good defense, he's not going to necessarily negate any of that when he's on the floor. And I think he's a, you know, versatile player that can probably play the one or the two. And if the Pelicans do keep up with three guard lineups like they, you know, are hoping to do next to their two bigs, uh, he's probably somebody who could survive on the floor with, you know, with what the Pelicans already have switching or defending up a position if he needed to. I, I really like him. I know I've seen around, you know, the internet people really not liking his defense. And so, you know, I don't know how much you'd want a player that, so many people are already down on his defense before even playing in the NBA. But at the same time, these guys have never played in the NBA. So I don't take those super ultimate high or low from from these guys too, too you know, much because it doesn't really make sense to me how you could be so certain of something.
1: No, isn't that like what we're supposed to do? Just come in, you know, hot takes flying and just be like, this guy's going to be bad. This guy's going to be good. I think that is what we're supposed to do, but I want the Pelicans to win games. So yeah, we're doing this a- wrong, aren't we?
2: <laughs> yeah
1: um, so. so you mentioned frank mason from kansas earlier and i talked about him the other day i think this guy's he's like a weird prospect to look at because he kind of has everything you'd like to see out of someone and then you look at his height and it's actually like kind of a big concern there don't you think
2: i think so i pointed uh in the piece i wrote to uh you know pelicans fans have a first-hand experience with somebody like this i think a lot of his uh He's not even as good a passer as Tim Frazier, but he, you know, has a lot of the same issues where he's he's gonna have a size disadvantage on just about every player he defends. He's not a, you know, he's not a Chris Paul type either, where he, he has such good balance and strength that he makes up for it. Um he he's a really awesome transition scorer. So, you know, if the Pelicans do want to push the pace even in select minutes, which I think any Alvin Gentry team is going to do, regardless of who the big men are that, you know, they're focusing the offense around. That's still going to be a part of this team. So I think if you're, you know, if you're excited about that and think that can be an advantage for the Pelicans, then Frank Mason's a good option. I mean, he he has the shooting and the the driving game. So he's a pretty well-rounded offensive player. It's just a matter of, you know, some players never get past that size problem. And Tim Frazier is a good example of somebody who that's still Plagues him even after getting stability financially last year and signing a contract with a team. He 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 wasn't able to constantly consistently be on the floor. So you wonder, you worry with something like that.
1: And they also already drafted a guy kind of like this in Pierre Jackson who. You know, lit it up in the d league, but was never made it into the NBA whatsoever. He was on the team and they traded him. I think to Philly was it and led the d league in scoring when you but his height and everything just kept him out of the NBA, even though I know he thought he should be there. And you know at, at that point, as much as you don't necessarily care about stuff like that in the second round, it's a bit of a concern,
2: yeah, I think so. I think you know, like we're talking about there there it's a it's a game. It's all a matter of priorities and and scouting but i think there is some sort of you know safeguarding you can do with guys where you're really just trying to limit the number of potential downfalls of a player you know there's guys who and then that's the definition of a high floor but you know you can kind of give yourself a little more leeway by taking somebody whose worst case scenario really isn't all too bad and i think somebody like frank mason if if they do have a career like, like Pierre Jackson and you never get any contribution from him, I think that's a loss.
1: Yeah, you especially when you're kind of in this win-now mode and you need to get people to contribute to this team, even if it's very little, in some capacity somewhere because you're not going to go out and spend big on free agents. And if you can get it from the second round, you can't risk it on a guy who you think is borderline not going to make it in the NBA. So switching gears from like specific prospects, one of the things I talked about, Uh, I think it was yesterday I talked about how the two-way contracts are going to be really important this offseason with undrafted guys how do you see that kind of working out
2: I think it's a really cool thing that the NBA is doing both to I mean they're also increasing the wages of the salaries of uh, D-League players in conjunction with that that's cool to me but not related I just think what they're doing with the D-League is interesting in general and I think it's a more serious path to the NBA for a lot of guys. I think it represents an actual opportunity rather than a, you know, a mystery or a risk. So I think there's going to be, you know, maybe some players who, who see the D league as more, uh, of, a, of an option for them, and I think the Pelicans can benefit because as we've seen the past, you know, I don't even know, I, I did early in the offseason a ten power ranking of all the 10-day guys, and it was somewhere in the 20s of, of the players that the Pelicans have had over the past three years. So um, a team like this, makes it makes so much sense for them to really invest in figuring out how it, how it can work to their benefit, and, and then, yeah, scouting guys that could potentially fall out of the draft or, you know, even seeing how it would work with their pick at 40.
1: Yeah, I, well, so they can't use it on the second rounders, actually, because they make too much money, I think. Oh, and you're s- right, you're some right. Of, some of the details haven't come out. That's where I, it gets kind of confusing. But you can take these undrafted guys, sign them to a two-way deal, pay them, I think it's like a, qu- a little over a quarter of a million now, which is good money instead of having them go to Europe. And the Pels will be able to use these guys, who they really think highly of, to pay that kind of money instead of 10-day contract players. Which, And you said in your power rankings, there weren't like great names on that list.
2: No. Yeah, it was a little sad to, to put that list together.
1: So, it, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see how that works. I think you expect to see like a flurry of activity, just NBA-wide of people trying to sign one or two guys to these two-way contracts. So let's shift a little bit here, focus on the Pelicans and wrap up with some more draft stuff. You know, what would you make of the news that came out today? I think it was from Jake Fisher, who writes about the NBA, uh, broke it on Twitter that the Mavs are serious suitors for Drew Holiday. I didn't even see that, but I think it's super logical.
2: I mean, any connection between Rick Carlisle and a point guard is uh, you start putting that point guard into your prayers a little bit. But I think Drew Holiday makes a ton of sense. Carlisle is not going to sign somebody or, you know, whatever. Their, their brain trust is not going to bring somebody into the system that – won't play defense, and Holiday's clearly capable and, and a, a good at playing defense. So, yeah, I think that that's exactly the kind of player. I just think it's interesting, you know, because we're talking about the draft, I think the Mavs are in a really good spot to take a point guard in the first round, so it'll be interesting. Uh, they're kind of in a similar, you know, any team that wants Holiday picking toward the, you know, beginning in, in the lottery, really, at all, is in the same position as the Pelicans, where do you pick a guard and, and invest a lot in them and, and hope that they can be a part of your team? Or do you save that spot for Holiday, or do you do both and, and bring them along together? So I think, yeah, the Mavs are another team where they're going to have to make that call without any sort of security that Holiday's actually going to be on the team.
1: Yeah, they are in a weird spot, and I think you're right, where they're sitting in the draft, it's looking like prime point guard, like second tier of point guards, I guess, yeah. from the top guys there. For him. So, what's you how do you feel about Holiday? Are you in favor of the Pelicans re-signing him or not or does it depend on the number?
2: Yeah, I well, I think the Pelicans are going to be able to re-sign him if they want to. I think that's sort of where I'm at with it, where they're they have the advantage financially being able to offer him if they really did want to go all in, sign him for the most money of any team. And I think, you know, there's no really indication nor reason why he would want to leave. So, I think if they're ready to pony up and they can you know, negotiate the right deal for him. They're going to be able to get him, but I, I don't know. I think it'll be, yeah. I mean, the number is obviously going to determine all of it, but I, I think I'm more in the camp that, you know, maybe you take a guy like we're talking about in the second round, you already have Tim Frazier and and maybe you invest that money elsewhere. But I, uh, I, I just think that would be a super sad day anyway. So I really don't know. It, it, it's going to be extremely interesting and i don't think it should just be something that's interesting to pelicans fans because you know he's a he's going to wherever he goes he's going to make an impact and the amount of money he makes is going to you know another thing i wrote about in the offseason is he's part of this new this wave of point guards that's that's re-entering the market after they all signed deals 4 years ago or 5 years ago so george hill jeff teague i mean obviously stephen curry but he he won't really be in the same money range as any of these guys but it'll it'll also work to set the 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 market for for all these guys so i think it's it's interesting from like three or four different levels
1: yeah there's a bunch i mean he's never been an unrestricted free agent this is like the first time where he's going to earn serious money i mean he's made 40 something million which is a ton of money but it's not like big time nba money like he's about to get offered is there so what's what's the amount or number of years you feel comfortable if you're you know, looking at this from a Pelican's perspective, given Holiday?
2: Well, I think
1: I, I think the years are going to probably, he's probably going to
2: get signed for four years from any team that, that wants him. He's not 30 yet. Um, He's not really, he's on the upswing from his injury, you know, past. He's not, he's not still stuck in that at least, you know, currently that obviously can change in a single game, but I think teams are going to be more optimistic than the Pelicans are and Pelicans fans especially are who haven't had to go through the up and down game to game of is Holiday going to play tonight. So I think whoever signs him is going to be for four years and I think somewhere for the Pelicans somewhere just under the max is where I'm comfortable if they do end up deciding that's the right path but I would really just hope that they had a plan in place for the rest of the roster if they did that and they don't really like we've been talking about have too much wiggle room there so I, you know, we're gonna know the draft the draft pick before we know the holiday situation. So I'd I'd love to see them nail, get a good player at forty, and I'd like to start hearing some rumors of young uh two way cheap players that they're targeting in free agency apart from holiday. I mean his brother is a good example if I mean that might uh I was joking around with somebody the other day if these players are going to are bound to end up on the same team this summer they they want to
1: play together i can tell you that much from talking with people and from talking with holiday i know they would like to play together if they can uh i don't think it's going to be like the number one factor in their decision but i bet that's something there it's definitely something they're thinking about and considering
2: well i think the culture in new orleans seems to be something that holiday is a plus for holiday and his decision so i think you know they're we don't ever know how that kind of thing works. I mean, the the Morris brothers are a good example of the strangeness that can be involved in, in people making basketball decisions, a part of personal decisions, but it's, it'll be interesting. And I do, I agree with you. I think it, it is more of a factor than uh, you would think, especially because they're both up for signing new deals at the same time. And both have never really had the opportunity to do that individually. So I think there could be something where they both go somewhere and maybe they take a pay cut or maybe they, you know, some sort of agreement there, but either way, I want them to have a plan in place, regardless of
1: whether he comes in or not. How confident do you feel in Dell Demp's putting together that plan or being the guy to execute the plan?
2: Yeah, I think that's where I tend to think that (laughs) that holiday is the best bet, because that's a sure thing. We know what holiday can do. We know what he can do within this system on this team. And, Aside from that, I, I don't think we have much evidence that the other side of it will go as well. I, I, I know. I, I hate just every time I talk about the Pelicans for more than 10 minutes, I start, you know, you get crapping, like nervous, crapping on Dell Demps. Well, oh, I was, yeah, I was oh, just going to say, we end up there with it, and it's just like, well, do you trust Dell Demps to make X decision? And it's like, I really want to say yes, especially I think he earned the benefit of the doubt in February, but... No, I don't think we can say with 100% certainty that, that that would go any better than signing Holiday to a above market deal. I, I just, you know, it's a matter of confidence and
1: That's a good point. I never thought of it like that. Especially in a that. season like this. It's just yeah, I, yeah. Like it, it's giving him a max deal or above market for Holiday isn't a great idea. I think most people are on board with that. But then if you don't and you let Dellamps have a little bit of I mean, it's not a ton. It's not like you're getting 30 million in Cap room, you end up with like ten or something right around there, but even then that's enough for him to give out like a bad deal on yeah, last year he had
2: a couple opportunities options with more much more than ten million, and he gave ten each to two players who haven't really lived up to it, so yeah, give it to him again this year, and we end up with some
1: yeah, all of a sudden it's like he'll oh, Park Park be two. good, yeah. Yeah, it's just like take what you have. Okay, that's an interesting point. Got to factor that in. I'll have to bounce that one off people too. So switching gears before we wrap up, going back to the draft. The Locked On Podcast Network is doing their mock draft here. Um, And we had the first six picks come out yesterday where the Celtics took Fultz, Lakers took Ball, the 76ers went with Josh Jackson out of Kansas, small forward. The Suns took Jonathan Isaac, the forward from Florida State. Kings, De'Aaron Fox, and then the Magic, Dennis Smith, out of NC State. Among those, any surprises? I think – I doubt Dennis Smith goes six.
2: Um, I know the Magic are a weird team because they've been in the lottery for so long that they have, like, at least one young player at every position. So it's sort of hard to say what their needs
1: are, you know? Yeah. But
2: that's interesting to me.
1: And then for – the next set, we have the Timberwolves, and I made this pick because the, the T-Wolves guy was unavailable, Malik Monk. You have the Knicks going with Jason Tatum out of Duke. The Pistons, who traded into the ninth spot with the uh, Mavericks, took uh, Lowry Markinen out of Arizona. The Kings with O.G. Newboy, or I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, the forward out of Indiana. The Raptors then take Frank – I'm just terrible with names here. The, oh, the- T-Lakina. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Uh, I, I botched that on something earlier. T. <laughs> Lakina, <laughs> the guard, point guard out of France, and then the Mavericks, who I think wanted T. Lakina and traded back and didn't get him, took Donovan Mitchell, the guard, out of Louisville. What do you think about those picks?
2: I mean, I don't. I think the rumors about the Pistons shopping their pick makes it a little shocking that they would trade up in the draft. But... Yeah. But I, uh, no, I think that's about how it goes. I like Mitchell. I wish the Pelicans were picking uh, if they had 10. That'd be really nice. But um, that's just. He seems like he'd actually be a great fit on this roster. I agree. Yeah, he's a perfect 3 and D guy. And he's way more of a sure thing than any of these second rounders we're talking about. I think he's the kind of player where you're going to look back and think, you know, one of the guys in the high lottery is bound to bust. Somebody like Smith or Tatum or or Merkinen is bound to not. Hit hit as high as our draft selection, and then in three years when we do these those retroactive mock drafts, we're all going to say why did, you know, some team not just pick Mitchell and say screw it and pick the surest thing. But but no, I think that the the lottery is cool this year because I think it's there's gonna you're going to get good players all the way through. There's not you know the team who's just sitting there at the end picking whatever's left. I think they're all going to be pretty excited to get whatever they get.
1: I mean, saying that, what what are your thoughts on the Pelicans trying to trade up? Is there any, like, future assets you'd be willing to give up to maybe move into, say, the mid-first round? Huh. I don't know. I mean, they don't really have a lot that other teams want. <laughs> no, it's basically just like a future. You'd be using your future first yeah. uh, to do that. And I think that's maybe better spent on, like, an established NBA player that's going to help you win now. Well, and I
2: think that's what this front office seems to want to do more. You know, they're not going to. They've never really done the, the trading up, but I think it's much more likely that they that they find a player that's on the trade market and, and use a pick that way. I think that's almost likely. If if this season goes well, that you'll see more of those deals down the line um, as the team. You know, especially if they were to pay Holiday. I think that you should Pelicans fans should be expecting to have less first round picks in the future rather than more.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the way it's gonna go. Especially if they're in contention around the trade deadline.
2: Yeah, even this year, you're right. I, I don't think it would be shocking if they were to do that, especially you know, if as as Omar Asik's contract gets closer to being over and and uh, you know, maybe Solomon Hill eventually to become more appealing to a team if they do try to trade either of those players in the future that some sort of pick swap situation would would happen if you can give a team up if you can give a contract up and to a team that that can take on the room include and a pick and get maybe a player back from them that's the kind of deal that seems uh like it might be possible with the pelicans being you know so pick desperate
1: that's a good way of putting it pick desperate yeah um, all right, Brendan, thanks for coming on and talking all of this with me. Let um, ev- all the listeners know how to find you on Twitter and social media.
2: I am at BrendanClean14 on Twitter, and uh, like Jake said, I'm at the Step Back at Fan Sighted um, for you know national NBA stuff and then Bourbon Street Shots, like Jake, for uh, Pelican stuff. So I'm sure if you are interested, I'll have something.
1: Yeah, there, I mean, always something going on, right? Yep. All right, Brendan, thanks so much for coming on with me today. For sure. Thank you for having me. So that's gonna do it for this edition of Locked On Pelicans. Thanks to my guest, Brendan Clean, for coming on with me. Please give him a follow on Twitter, Brendan Clean 14. Don't forget, listen to the Locked On NBA channel to hear more of the mock draft. We're also doing an AMA on Reddit. Each day we have one of these, so it'll have been Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday. Jump in there with the writers, or uh, writers, hosts of the different podcasts to pick their brains on why they made certain picks, why they didn't, uh, what they were thinking. It was a lot of fun, great interaction uh, yesterday with all of our listeners. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, that's going to wrap it up for this week. No podcast on Friday unless something breaks. Um, we already covered the Drew Holiday news with the Mavs. Makes sense. Uh, still too early to really tell anything or any decision being made in free agency. So we'll probably tackle that next week and after the draft. Once the draft is over, focus will shift to free agency. So thank you all for listening this week to Locked on Pelicans. Available on iTunes, on Audio Boom, wherever podcasts are found. Again, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. And I'll be back with you all next time.